Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm usually pretty good at remembering that. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to finish this great paragraph that extends from verse 1 all the way through verse 16, all about the unity that God desires through His Son, because of His Son, in the church. Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be isolating our attention to verse 16, but in order to get a, a running start to understand it better, I want to begin reading the context, which begins in verse 11. And He, that is Christ, who had descended in the incarnation and ascended when God brought him back to heaven. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors, teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. This morning we've come to a subject that we've studied many times and in many ways, and that is the subject of the church as the body of Christ. It's an illustration. It's Paul's favorite illustration when he talks about the church. That of a human body. We looked at these data points in our study of Romans 12, we've considered them in 1 Corinthians 12 as well many times. In short, Paul draws parallels between the body of Christ, the church, and a human body so that we can see better how the church is to function in solidarity and in unity. It makes us consider the human body. Your body, the human body, is, is stunning. It's it's amazing. We considered some of this when we were looking at Romans chapter 12, but let me just review some of that. Listen to some of these astonishing facts about your body, the human body from Science Daily. Human fingers are so sensitive that if your fingers were the size of earth, you could feel the difference between a house and a car. With 60,000 miles of blood vessels inside the average human body, you could circumnavigate the earth two and a half times just with your blood vessels. The human eye is so sensitive that if the earth were flat, you could spot a candle flickering at night from 30 miles away. Nerve impulses travel to and from the brain at speeds of 250 miles an hour. It's faster than a Formula One race car. 
This one was interesting to me, and I don't know how they figured this out or why they know this. When you blush, the lining of your stomach blushes also. I'm going to take someone's word for that. The human brain can read up to a thousand words per minute. This might discourage you. Inside your belly button are thousands of bacteria that form an ecosystem the size of an entire rainforest. When you're in love, Aaron just got that. <laughs> when you're in love, the human brain releases the same cocktail of neurotransmitters and hormones that are released by amphetamines. This is to increase the heart rate, loss of appetite, it loses, you can lose sleep, intense feelings of excitement because of how you feel in love. You can see, strangely enough, many people don't know this, you can actually see ultraviolet light. The ability is just filtered out by the eye's lenses, and some people have undergone surgery to remove the lens and can detect ultra ultraviolet light. An adult is made up of seven octillion atoms for perspective, there's a measly 300 billion stars in our galaxy. Our muscles are incredibly more powerful than they appear to be. Human strength is actually limited, I think by God, to protect our tendons and muscles from harming themselves. However, this limitation can sometimes be removed during an adrenaline rush. You've heard of people lifting cars and massive rocks to help someone when their adrenaline was moving. We humans are the best of all the animal kingdom at long-distance running, better than any four-legged animal. In fact, thousands of years ago and in some places in Africa today, legs were used, the human legs were used to outrun prey. You just chase them long enough and they get tired and then you can kill or catch them. A human head, a full head of human hair, rather, is strong enough to support 12 tons. I want to know who tested that theory out. In 30 minutes, the human body gives off enough heat to bring a gallon of water to boil. We have the same amount of hairs on our body as a chimpanzee. Most are so fine, though, they're invisible. Human bone is as strong as granite. A block of bone the size of a matchbox can support nine tons of weight. This is interesting. If the human brain were a computer, it could perform 38,000 trillion operations per second. That's a lot of zeros. The world's most powerful supercomputer, Blue Gene, can only do 0.002% of what your brain can do. The focusing muscles in your eyes move around 100,000 times a day. To give your leg muscles that same workout, you need to walk 50 miles. For every pound of fat or muscle gained, your body creates seven miles of new blood vessels. Your body, this is incredible. Your body produces 25 million new cells each second. Every 13 seconds, you produce more cells than there are people in the United States. Humans shed about 40 pounds of skin in their lifetime. I want to know where that goes. Completely replacing your outer skin happens every month. 
In one day, your blood travels 12,000 miles around your body. That's four times the distance across the United States from coast to coast. I found this interesting. Along with the five traditional senses, sight, sound, touch, smell, and taste, humans have 15 other senses. These include balance, temperature, pain, uh, and time, as well as internal senses of su- for suffocation, thirst, and fullness. The human brain uses 20% of the entire body's oxygen supply and calorie intake, despite the fact that it accounts for only 2% of an adult's body mass. I mean, I could go on. One of the, this was interesting. Some women see more colors than everyone else. By everyone else, they must mean men. But anyway, that's an interesting way to say that. I don't know who else. <laughs> who is everyone else? Some women see more colors than everyone else. People, most people have three types of color receptors to see color vision, while some women have four or even five times these receptors and can see a wider range of colors. That's why my wife tells me sometimes that colors don't match when they look just fine to me. Oh, I could go on, but I won't. Crying alleviates stress. I know you didn't know that. Decreases feelings of anger and sadness. It's a physiological response. It literally does physically help to let it all out. We could go on for hours on this. Did Paul know any of that when he said the church is like a human body? No. No. But God did, and way more. And through the inspiration of the Spirit, he had Paul multiple places, Romans, 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. He had Paul under the inspiration of his own mind to say that there's a parallel between the human body and the church. God knew these data, countless others when he inspired Paul to write this illustration. All of these facts are evidence of our creative and loving God, our creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is and always was and always will be God. I love the words that David says in Psalm 139. He considers the human frame and he says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are fearfully, incredibly and wonderfully made made. Even with what Paul did understand about the human body, it makes perfect sense why he would use a human body to illustrate the church. Both are amazing creations of God. Both are organisms created by his ingenuity. The illustration of the church as a human body was the central focus of the passage before us. We read it and heard it several times if you were listening. Remember the first 16 verses of chapter 4 we've discussed many, many weeks have the theme of unity through diversity. Unity in spite of of diversity. Unity because of diversity. And Paul will climax that argument today in verse 16. Last week, we looked at verses 14 and 15, which which talk about maturity. If you go back and look at the, 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 the main reason that God gave church leaders, and specifically pastor teachers at the end of verse 11, verse 12 was for the equipping, preparation, readiness of the saints, the church, for the work of doing service. 
to the building up of the, here's our illustration, the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith. We're, we're equipped enough to believe the right things and the same things. And of the knowledge of the Son of God, Christ with the focus, to a mature man or woman, to maturity. How, how do we measure maturity? To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ, to become conformed to the image of Christ, to be like him. As a result of that epic methodology, that pedagogical uh, emphasis of, of gifted men teaching the church so the church can be equipped and saints who are holy and knowledgeable, as a result, we're no longer to be babies, that's the word, children tossed here and there and carried about by every wind of doctrine or theology, solid in our thinking, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but... And we looked at this last week, speaking the truth in love. That doesn't mean talking honestly or saying honest things. It means proclaiming, talking through theology, speaking the truth with each other in an attitude of love because we care about one another. We are to grow up in all aspects, every dimension of life as regulated by the Word of God. We could say it that way. Into Him, this is important, who is the head. Remember the body illustration? He's the head, even Christ. And now Paul lays out for us, very simply, three ways that Christ is involved in maturing his church. He wants us to grow up. Here's how he engages that. Three ways that Christ matures his church. The first is, they're all in verse 16. The first is very simple in that first phrase. Christ is the source and the goal of the church's growth. He's the source and the goal of the church's growth. The church grows because of him and the church grows to him. To understand this, we've got to get a running start from verse 15. Speaking truth to one another, theology, counseling each other, uh, making sure that we're ministering in the in the truth of God's word. That's our language, our conversation with each other. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, mature, in all aspects, every dimension, into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body... Stop right there. Let's start with an English grammar lesson, can we? Go back to 10th grade English for a moment. When you see a pronoun, the first question to ask and answer is, what is the pronouns, remember the word? antecedent. In other words, what does the pronoun refer to? Well, here we see the pronoun whom. And when you see whom, you have to say, whom is whom referring to? Well, it's explicit. We grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, who is Christ. From whom? So the whom is Christ. Not just Christ in a generic descriptive sense, but Christ the head of the body. Very important. Christ as head in verse 15 is congruent with the whole body in verse 16. So you have the head of the body in verse 15 and the whole body at the beginning of verse 16. See how the illustration stretches through there? This all makes sense because if you go back to verse 12... The equipping of the saints for the work of service is to the building up of the body of 
Christ. Christ has a body illustratively, and in that body, he is the head, right? What does it mean that Christ is the head? Well, it has a lot of dimensions. It means he's the leader. He's the the top, if you look at a human body. It means he exercises authority over his church. All authority was given to me, he said in Matthew 28. It also signals for the operation of the body to come from him. Signals for the body's actions come from the head. Not only that, ask a medical person and they'll tell you that all growth is actually initiated from the brain, from the head. Now, this is not something that Paul's exploring here, but we know this. The brain sends out signals for the body to actually indulge itself in growth. And there are things that can happen where that can misfire and the, the, the body stops growing. In this illustration, Christ is the head. He is the cause of the growth, and he is the guidance for the growth. That's what's happening in this passage. He's the cause of the growth. He's the guide or the guidance for the growth. Now, to understand what this this means in terms of his headship, I want us to sneak a peek at where we're going to be in just a few months in Ephesians chapter 5. Look over at chapter 5, verse 23, because he talks about Christ as head and specifically says the husband is to operate in that analogous relationship as head himself. But we find out something about Christ here. We'll, We'll look at the husband's analogous relationship to Christ when we get there, but look at this. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is, here it is, the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. So we'll look at this when we get to this passage. This is not a domineering head. This is a loving savior who functions as a guide and friend and helper the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. The point is the head is the leader and the guide. Because Christ is that, the husband should take his cues and clues from that. But we're going to import that back into our passage for a second. Christ is the head. Paul will tell us in the next phrase that the human body, which is the underlying illustration, is harmoniously fitted together, held together by what every supporting joint supplies. He's the head of a body. The body illustration extends out through this verse. And nothing in the latest science that we've ever discovered has refuted Paul's claim. I'm not sure he understood understood brain science, but we do. And God did. And it all stays exactly true, even over the century and millennia, as we learn more about the head The point he's stressing here and in the parallel passages in Colossians is that Jesus Christ rules and leads and grows his body, his church. Like a human body, when properly supported and held together, it grows and so does the church in depth and in breadth. Christ is the origin of the church's growth as well as the goal of the body's growth. This has far-reaching implications. Christ's headship should influence how we provide 
criticisms of the church. We can all be critical of the church. Yes, even church leaders can be critical of the church. But how are our critiques anchored in the reality that the body is connected to the head and the head is Christ? Oh, there's nothing wrong with finding things that are correctable and need correction in the church. So thankful that so many of you do that with each other, with me, with our leadership team. That's wonderful. But we can't forget that this is Christ's church. Also, Christ's headship should be the foundation of every decision we make regarding his church. We need to remember this as elders, as deacons, as care group leaders, as Sunday school teachers. Every Every layer and level of church leadership must make decisions based on our living head, the Lord Jesus. And you know, Christ supplies all that is needed for the well-being, the maturity, and the health of his church. It's all accessible. He is the source of our growth. He is the goal of our growth. Look back again just for a moment. At verse 15, we're to grow up in all aspects into him. So you have into him in verse 15, that's the goal, from whom, and that from whom, from him in verse 16, that's our source. Source and goal. It gets more explicit. Three ways Christ matures his church. He's the source and goal of the church. We have to know that. Secondly, Christ gifts each believer to contribute to the church's growth. Jesus has gifted each believer, each of you, he's gifted every believer to contribute to the church's growth. This is amazing. Look at the next phrase. From whom the whole body, that's everyone, remember that phrase, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Now, before we notice what Paul is saying here, I want to look at the parallel passage to this in Colossians. Now, you don't have to turn there, but just listen. There's an obvious uh, correlation between what Paul is saying, between false doctrine, bad theology, and being mature and healthy. He says that in Ephesians, we looked at that last week. Listen to how he describes that in Colossians. Colossians 2, verse 18. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking a stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind. Those are false teachers. They love being heard because they love being liked. But contrasting, he says, and not holding fast to the head. There's the body illustration. From whom the entire body, does that sound familiar? Being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. Same elements are in play in both passages. Christ is the head. The body is the church. It comes from, growth comes from the head himself. It's by divine power. But let's look specifically at the emphasis here in Ephesians. 
Now, notice that Paul goes back to to the thought that he introduced in verses 7, verse 12, and 13. Listen to the emphasis here. Verse 7, but to each one, comprehensively, everybody, each one of us, grace was given to the measure of Christ's gift. The parallel to that, the, the antecedent for that, the target of that is the grace are the gifts that he's given us. He's graced us with gifts. Why? Verse 12, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. So we're given gifts so that we can be equipped to do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. You see how we participate in that? And then verse 13, until, here it is, we all attain to the unity of faith. In other words, as we've been studying, every true believer is gifted and expected to do his or her part to contribute to the maturing of one another in Christ's church. Everyone. There are no exceptions. You don't get an exemption to say, well, I'm glad we have pastors and teachers who can teach and train. I'm glad we have people who can lead the care groups and and teach small groups and and do the Sunday school because I don't need to do that. You need to do something. And what's the something? First Peter 4 said, you serve or you speak. You serve by seeing other people's needs and desires spiritually and physically, and you serve to meet those needs, or are you speaking gifts? It's, it's you teach, you disciple. But here's the point he's making. There's no exceptions. Listen, friends. Church is in no way a spectator sport. You don't come and watch ministry happen and then you retreat to your own life. Each one of us, we all, and then here, every joint, each individual, there's no exceptions, none. No exemptions. The accent of the phrase falls to the contribution that each individual in the body makes to the church and her growth. Look at the phrase again, being fitted and held together by what every joint contributes or supplies according to the proper working of each part, each individual part. Every joint supplies each individual part Now, there's some debate, I should tell you this, in case you may read a commentary on this, about the joint. Some people say, well, the joint really needs to be not translated as joint, but connection. Okay. I mean, (laughs) does that save us anything? By what every joint supplies, what every connection. My my lower arm and my upper arm are connected by my elbow, and there are also joints there. (gasps) Wow. Sometimes I read commentaries and think, I bought this. Um, <laughs> the point's the same. Every connection, every joint supplies. You are a joint in the church, and you supply something for the church. Each individual part, it says. But notice the term proper working. 
working in measure, work, working in um, uh, uh, reference to what you've been given, which means you're a good steward of the gifts God has given you. And if you want to know what those gifts are, you can go back a few weeks. We talked about how to determine your gifts. First of all, just read 1 Corinthians 12, read Romans 12, and just try and see what people affirm you at, at doing. What do you want to do? How can you serve people? It's the work of service you're equipped for. Every joint supplies connection. Connection to each other. That's relationships. And it's the proper working. It takes effort. It takes work. Each individual part. Um, I, I tell you this more than I should, but I, I, it's because I'm feeling it more and more. I'm, get, I'm getting older, and my body keeps letting me know that in different ways that are surprising and unpleasant. Um, one of the things that I'm finding is my... my my joints don't work like they used to. <laughs> I mean, I wake up in the morning and I put my feet on the ground and my ankles just kind of rebel at first. And I take a step and my knees make noises that they didn't used to make. And my hips groan and moan. And I used to be able to wash parts of my back that I can't reach anymore because my shoulder says, no, you're not going there, tiger. <laughs> I can't even reach over my, it, it's terrible. Um, uh, I have to have my wife scratch my back all the time because I just can't anyway. My joints just don't function. And have you ever, let me ask you this, you ever hurt a joint? Ever rolled an ankle? Blown an ACL? Had a hip problem? Rotator cuff? Had an elbow problem? When a joint is not working right, the whole body suffers, does it not? See the illustration, don't you? What each joint supplies, each joint is, supply, is to supply healthy connections in the church. What are those connections based on? Go back up in the verses. Speaking the truth, the theology, the doctrine that we know in love. That's our connection. We contribute. Christ gives each believer to contribute to the church's growth. Folks, that's every one of you. Every single one of you. And this says something also about church membership. How, how do we know? How do we measure who is responsible and a steward of, of their own gifts to contribute to the ministry here at Mission Road Bible Church? Well, is it the people who come once a year or at Christmas and Easter or three times a year or six times a year? Where, where do you cut that off? Whether it's Mission Road or, or another, I, I want to I exhort you, I want to beg you, Find a local church and give your life to that church. Give your life to the building up of the body there through the gifts that you have and the truth that you know. There's a third way that Christ matures his church. And this is the most amazing and incredible reality, in my opinion. Three ways Christ matures his church. He's the source and goal of the church's growth. He's the, he gifts believers to contribute to the church's growth. Number three, Christ co-operates. What a word. He co-operates with believers for the church's growth. 
I want to confess, after I've studied this, I, I put that point of the outline down on paper, and I just looked at it and said, ah, that sounds weird. I'm not sure that's right. Can I say that? Well, that's exactly what Paul says. Christ cooperates, operates alongside, operates with believers for the church's growth. Look at the last phrase. Each individual part, all the joint supply. Then he goes back to causes the growth of the body. Now, now stop. When you see a verb, you have to ask, what's the subject? So who is the cause? Who's causing the growth of the body? Well, if you keep going back up the up and diagram it, it's, it's Christ. The end of verse 15. Christ causes the growth of the body. Clear enough, that's Christ. For the building up, clear enough, of itself, or you could translate that by itself in love. So Christ causes the growth with the church itself, helping to cause the growth with each other, which makes perfect sense with everything he's taught us since verse 11. The building up of itself in love. It's reflexive. The church builds itself up. It cooperates with Christ in this building of the church's maturity and health. Now, how do we cooperate with Christ in the growth of the church? By the way, when I say growth, I'm talking about maturity and depth, not breadth. That's an evangelism sermon. That's another text. We'll talk about that another time. This is growth in maturity. How does he do that? First, by employing, distributing, and using the spiritual gifts of his people in the church. That's what, what every joint supplies means. It means that we all contribute to the health of our local church. We all contribute. You all are supposed to contribute with your gifts, with your care. But there's more that's kind of the secret sauce of the whole passage. And it's a bookend. It's, a, it's an interesting bookend. You, 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 have, you have to see this. How does Paul begin? The first part of the bookend is back up in verse 2. Look at verse 1. I therefore, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, have a worthy walk. We all, with all humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance, forbearance for one another in love. See that? Look at the last phrase of this paragraph in verse 16. Christ causes the growth of the body for the building up of the church itself in how? In, in love. Love is the key to this. All ministry, all equipping, all counsel, all encouragement is to be done in love, with love, by love. We've studied love for many, many weeks in this chapter. Love is, is simply the action of doing what's best for the one beloved. Love is the action of doing what's best for the one who you love, the one who is beloved. It's deliberate, it's active. It's sacrificial. It's costly. 
And though he's talking about husbands in chapter 5, we find out much about how Paul describes love when he's talking about headship and love because he says, you love as, as Christ loved. Love is what results when you die to yourself. You're selfless. Jesus said, if any man wishes to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself, die to himself, and follow me, Matthew 16 says. Love is what results when you have a God-given care for those you are eternally bound to. You know one of the beautiful things about the church (laughs) is you have loving relationships with people in this room, in this church, in your care group, that you would never have with them if it weren't for the church. Isn't that true? The only thing you have in common is Christ. And the differences that we have, which brings us together because of the common love for Christ, is what makes the church an amazing, beautiful thing. We're not bound together by socioeconomic realities. We're not bound together by race. We're not bound together by background or or wealth. We're bound together because of Christ. Love is what results when you imitate and become like Jesus Sneak a peek down the page. We'll, we'll have a whole series on this when we get here. Ephesians 5.1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk, or we've learned that that's live, walk in, say it with me, love. You say, okay, what does that look like, Paul? He, he knew you would ask. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. In chapter 5, Paul will tell us that husbands love are to love like Christ in his activity of saving sinners on the cross. That's the pathway for a worthy walk in chapter 4, verse 2. That's the way that we build up ourselves by love, by imitating Christ, by exhibiting love with and for and to each other. This is the great why of the unity and fellowship of the church, because we love each other. We care about each other. We have a spiritual affection for each other that transcends reasons that we wouldn't normally like each other, much less love each other. That's why I love the church. Listen, we're all tempted to root our commitments to church in the wrong things. Oh, we can root our commitment to church. Instead of love, we can root it in obligation. I have to go. I have to do this. I have to. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes obligation works in our favor, at least till we get here. You get up on Sunday morning and you... Why, why am I going to church? Because I have to. And then hopefully you get here and the attitude's changed a little bit. But we don't do it because we have to in a begrudging sense. That's obedience. I get that. But not with an attitude of, I have to. I'm obligated. We can also be tempted to do it out of indebtedness. Well, God does this for me. I got to pay him back. Listen, newsflash, you will never pay God back. Ever. <laughs> Ever. We can do it for guilt. I feel guilty. I mean, the church was nice to my son, so I'm going to be nice. No, not guilt. We don't come out of guilt. We don't come as an investment 
investment for reciprocation. We're involved in church because of love. We genuinely love each other. It's very simple. Listen, folks, love's a big deal. It's, it's frightening. It is a very, very big deal. First John, you guys know the song. You probably sung it with your children. Chapter 4, verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. Stop right there. God has loved us. What an amazing thought. God loved us, sacrificed for us, gave his son for us. God is love. And the one who abides in love abides in God. Now it's getting transitional, the transition from love for God to us loving. And God God abides in him, the one who loves. By this, love is matured or perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Wow, wow, wow. Be imitators of God, chapter 5, verse 7 says, and we're going to come back to that. As God has loved, so are we to be in this world. Lovers. There's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. There's a lot there. The one who truly loves isn't afraid to be judged in hell because they know they love because they've been saved by God. It all goes hand in glove. Then he says, this is the passage. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, John says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. That's the sum of Christianity. This is the sum of our actions, is to love. True teaching generates a loving community of believers in a local church. True biblical teaching teaches lovely living. One commentator says, these are the instruments by which the Lord has chosen to build his church. Not popes, not emperors, not kings, not princes, and great ones, even great ones. Not mighty monarchs of this world, but apostles and evangelists and pastors and teachers, men illumined by his spirit, endued with the power from on high, not merely by men, but given and appointed by God himself. It is to take place through the peaceful means of preaching, pastoral care, and instruction, end quote. What's amazing is the preaching is not to just stop in the pew. We preach so that you have truth you can Preach, speak, minister in love to each other. You don't know out of your own curiosity, you know for your ministry with the body of Christ. I was thinking about this in my own life. I think there are two main obstacles to overcome for each of us to get more involved, to love better, 
to cooperate with Christ for the growth of the body. The first obstacle is comparison. Flat out comparison, oh, we don't want to use our gifts because we don't like our gifts compared to other people's gifts or we, don't, we think they're different. Other people have better gifts than us. Paul knew that and listen to what he said. 1 Corinthians 12, 14. For the body, speaking of the body of Christ, is not one part. What, when he says member, he means part. One part, one member, but many parts, many members. If the foot says, this just always cracks me up, Paul has your body parts having a conversation with each other. It's It's funny. If the foot says, I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, is it not for this reason any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? He brings the nose in at that point. But now God has placed the parts, the members, each one of them in the body, just, <laughs> just as he desired. You are like you are in the way you are in the temperament of personality, passions, and gifting you are because he wanted you to be that way for the ministry of the people in the body. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, listen to this comparison, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which may seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, literally less seeable, like your guts, your heart, your lungs, are much more become much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need of it. But God has composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division among the body. What he's saying is, is there any part of your body you just like, okay, I don't need that, just take it. You, you want it, you need it all. I love this. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. One member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. For you are Christ's body and individually members, parts of it. Paul says the comparison bug can bite you and make you not effective, jealous, irresponsible, and bad stewards of the gifting that he's given you because you're not like someone else. You are as he desired. That's good news. He made no mistakes in making you exactly how you are. And another one briefly is confidence. We have a lack of confidence. That could cause us not to participate in the body and love. You should have plenty of confidence to do what God's called you to do. Here, th listen to this. This is incredible. Romans 15, 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself, Paul said, am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to admonish, to counsel, to love, to care for one another, all in love. You know what amazes me about that verse? Paul says you're all competent to counsel, as Jay Adams would say. You're all competent to minister. You have all you need. And they had no New Testament at that time. 
Maybe all they had was Romans. He says, you have enough. You know enough to love, to care. What would our church be like if we were like that? Boy, I, I want us to excel still more. Don't hear me say that I don't see these evidences of grace in our church. Oh, do I? Every day, every week. But wow, could we deepen in our love and with our ministries. Are you committed to the local? No. Are you committed to our church? Are you committed to your local church, to Mission Road? If you love Christ and you know Christ, praise God. If you don't, you can become a forgiven, blood-bought believer today by believing the gospel. He died for your sins. He offers you his righteousness. He rose from the dead to prove it's true. And if you believe that, we would love to talk to you about how your soul can be secure forever. You can experience the hope of heaven because of that belief. For those of us who know Christ, are you using your gifts in love? Caring for the people around you by using who you are for their best interests and their greatest needs. Oh, what would the church be like that if we all were serious, more serious about that?